0: Hey, you're listening to Blind Sight. Let's go. Mental health isn't something to take lightly. It's time to fight. It's time to thrive. Let's do
1: this. Hi there. Welcome to Blind Sight. I'm your host, Bill Lundgren, and today we're going to do an exchange with our producer, Jonathan Price, Uh, because I want to share some things with our audience that, uh, that are particular to me, but I think I hope will be helpful to everyone out there. And Jonathan, as I was just, you know, saying, that Labor Day, I'm young enough to remember when Labor Day, the day after Labor Day, was when we started school. Not right. in the middle of August, not in 90-degree temperature, right. and so forth. And so for me, that Labor Day holiday is always a time of reflection about transition.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as I was taking a shower today, I was thinking about, number one, uh, that it was a year ago when I think Matt approached me about doing a, uh, a series for AIN on, uh, you know, it was their first topic of the month, and they wanted yep. to talk about mental health. Yeah. And then Matt said, we're looking for a host. Well, of course, not knowing what was involved, I innocently said, well, <laughs> I I would be glad to host. <laughs> and here we are a year later. I mean, we started, ho- started yeah. Blindside in October, but a, a year later, here we are, and that That's right. certainly is part of, re, of my reflection.
0: Isn't it funny how long? Uh, it's funny how fast a year goes, right? It's, it's huh. Been uh, quite a
1: ride for sure. That's for sure, and not only that, but I just can't. You know, I, when you when they talk about doing weekly, I said, oh, I don't think I can talk once a week. <laughs> <laughs> <Duh>. <laughs> Anybody
0: that knows you, Bill, knows that you can not only talk for a day, for a day a week, you can talk for a, a week long straight <laughs> period if you were given the
1: opportunity. If I was given the opportunity, and people could stand it, but That's you right. know, good thing I didn't go into the Senate where they had those monsters <laughs> where they have, have senators talking. To you, you make a great lobbyist, Bill. Drum <laughs> Strom Thurmond started and did a, uh, you know, I think just this week, uh, 60 years ago, did a filibuster of 24 hours where he talked, 24 oh hours yeah. to block the civil rights bill. Yep. But anyway, but the other thing I was thinking about, uh, almost 60 years ago, I with vacationing in San Francisco, and I got a phone Mm -hmm. call from my office. I was working for a pharmaceutical company at the time, Mm -hmm. and they said, don't come back to the office. We want you, as soon as you get back in town, to go to a workshop on addiction. Oh. And, of course, because I had one of my, the drugs that I wrote about, uh, for the company was something that was given for, they were basically knockout drops for people sure. who had DTs and they wanted me to see what was new in the alcoholism field that I could mm. possibly weave some, some advertising about their product. Yeah. And so for the, so I did that and that was my exposure to the addiction field and which i You know, for almost 60 years, I've been involved with in one way or another. And it was about 10 years later, uh, after finishing a two-week camping trip with a friend of mine, uh, my friend sat me down and said, "Uh, I found out that you have a condition that you're going to go blind. Hmm. And, uh, you know, and he said, I, they told me before we left and they said, don't tell Bill because we can't do, we can't treat it in any way. There's nothing he can do. Hmm. And my friend said, I couldn't do that to you. I think you had to know. And he was right. Wow. Uh, but that then, uh, it was not until about twenty years later that my sight was shot. Right. And but now it's I'm you know in my work career starting from that first uh, addiction conference to now half of my life has been uh, without sight. Right. Yeah. And as a result of that conference and the company spent a lot of money sending me to conferences all over the country on in addiction. Yeah. And one of the things that came out of it was I realized I'd like to do some stuff in this area on a volunteer basis as well as professional. Yeah. And that's what started me in this whole thing. And then when I got the news 10 years later from my friend, I said, well, you know, I hate the work I'm doing. Why not? Uh, find something in the addiction career mm, yeah and a year later I became an executive director of a small uh, drug and alcohol abuse prevention agency and then that started this whole thing to where I am now the and and for me one of the uh, one of the realities was that I got, this information, and rather than saying, oh, woe is me and, and kind right. of anticipating what's going to happen when I'm blind, the, the reality is I was totally dependent on me. You know, yeah. if something was going to happen, I had to do it. Yeah. And today when people talk about my blindness they say, oh, you're such a hero. I admire you. You, you know, you just go ahead and do and I say to myself, "No, come on now. There was no other option, right?" And and this is what I think is real key. You know, when you when we look at the uh, situation for people with blindness, only one third of twenty eight percent of them are employed, fully mm, yep. employed. Yep, that's a terrible statistic. Yeah, and that sh- shouldn't be. But a lot of times what happened to those of us who lose our sight whether we lose it suddenly or lose it gradually like I did I was fortunate in that I it was gradual so I could kind of uh, get, get my uh, you know get my feet wet and get started in a different career than I knew I could do blind sure uh, but in either case, if we're if we get this news, this diagnosis, or there's an accident, and the thing is we can go and we have a right to wallow in it for a while. That's right. I mean, you know, that's part of the, the grieving process when you lose something. But what's more important is that we then say, look, that does not mean the end of everything. That means I have to make some changes and Definitely. this is often very scary for people. I maybe I was naive. I said, "Well, you know, I got to do something. I cannot, yeah. I I cannot manage, uh, you know, being being on welfare and so forth. They, they don't pay enough to make it worth my while. Right. So I have got to do something that will will help me manage." being blind, and be employed and useful. And I made less money as an executive director of an agency than mm-hmm. I did writing uh, uh advertising copy about anti-diarrheals. And and <laughs> well, that, that was my favorite of all That my... didn't rake in the big bucks? <laughs> yeah, they paid very well, you know. And, in fact, I wrote a... Uh, uh, this is how far back I, I created an ad that was going to go out during a presidential election. And the, t- the uh, headline on the ad that went out to all these was to go out to all these doctors that I choose not to run. There's a politician uh, saying, I choose not to run. And that ad was sitting on the medical director's desk waiting for a final sign off for printing. <laughs> When Lyndon Johnson announced that he wasn't going to run, and that killed the whole campaign. Oh, my gosh. I had to create a whole new one in, in uh, like, 48 hours. <laughs> but anyway, that was my advertising career. But I, and it paid big bucks, but I was not happy. Yeah. What I found was, working in the addiction field, I really felt uh, motivated. I felt useful. And I was, sure. you know, doing different things. And then when I became an agency director, particularly for an agency that uh, needed help, and in fact, if, uh, you know, it was on, on the verge of closing until I took it over and made it a, a, a very, very valuable corporation, which is still in existence, uh, you know, then I felt really the fact of my being blind, and I told them, and I was losing my eyesight, but they said, okay, we can adapt, and so forth and so on. I found out people really are not as caught up with it as I could have been. Right. And, and yet, the important thing, the other important thing, and this is where the family gets involved, and that is, we've, you know, it's very easy for other decided members of the family or friends to take over, to decide they're the ones that are going to take, mm-hmm. take care of me. yeah, And that is very dangerous, you know, because you can easily get into, oh, well, I don't have to do anything. I'll have other people do it for me. And that doesn't do much for your self-esteem, or at least it wouldn't have for, for me.
0: Now. Well it does it does it does in the short time. And I want to jump in because yeah. you had talked about you were starting to transition into uh what I would like to call the personally a choice dichotomy. Yeah. Where you had a choice at the beginning. You you could have chose the path of least resistance, if you will, right. and have just sat on the couch and eat bonbons and collect the welfare. But you decided to go and pursue something that was so passionate to you, Yeah, and you just did it. And yeah. I think when we have parents who are, or parents or anybody who's enabling um, or or going through a transition of this blindness, that you have the ability to enable people. It's It's a scary situation when you have parents or people who are loving you to say, okay, now what do you want to do are you going to – do you want to go out and do something? Or can you get yourself some water? Can you, you know, work on your phone? Like can, and you, you turn into this, like, two-month-old that has no, you know, life and you can – And That's right, because that's and, the way people see blind people. Right. And when you're going through those transitions, having the people around you, especially when you're going through an addictive phase, which we'll get into in a minute, but – when you have those people who are helping you to transition in a positive way will vastly improve
1: your way of life. Oh, absolutely. But you see, the thing is, there's a certain power dynamic that comes in that people, people feel good when they take care of you. So right. they feel if they take care of you constantly, they'll ha- continue. It's like an addiction. To It's an addiction. Yes. The, the caretaking yep. is, can be an addiction. In yeah. and of itself, so yeah. that, uh, they take away all my autonomy. Now, yeah. uh, I, I constantly, uh, have to look at that serenity prayer that is, uh, used in 12 step programs. And that yep. is ask for the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can. And most importantly, the wisdom to know the difference. That's and right. And you see, there are certain things I can't change. I can't change my blindness. I can't change the fact that I can't drive. I have to depend sure. on other people for transportation or, or take a lift. And even lift is pretty problematic for someone who's blind and has a guide dog. Right. But the, the thing is, I have, there are certain things I have to turn over to other people. But I still have to retain some control, and you know, right? Uh, I still like, have to have that autonomy, right? Right, and sometimes I may err uh, to comfortability in turn of over too much control, and then it yeah. it, it bites me on the tail <laughs> because <laughs> I then say, "Hey, what happened here?" Or in the case of of uh, an appliance that broke down in this house, somebody else. Came in and was trying to help, and I look back on it because it didn't work. I look back on it and say I should have been in the middle there with that person helping me, mm-hmm. and I think the two of us could have solved the problem. Wow! But yeah. I step back. oh, I don't know anything about mechanical stuff. Well, I do. Yeah. But it's that that uh, you know that that thing we can uh, easily resort to say, oh, I can't do that. And you have, I have to constantly ask myself, is that true, Lundgren? Or are you just not wanting to take a chance on failing? And that's a big thing.
0: That's so hard to Mm -hmm. adapt to. Yeah. And like I think going through, going through change in my own life, understanding that fear is always going to be there. Oh, yeah. It's what you do. Because you're always going to have a way to go. You can either yeah. go left or right in this fork. Right. Fear is going to be a part of the equation regardless right. of what There's you the do. The
1: fear of failing or the feel of fear of messing it up, whatever it is, right. messing it up.
0: Or even to – like in some cases, my point, just a little bit of my – like the psychoanalysis whatever i had uh, in working through my own counseling there was a genuine fear of success because i yeah. was i didn't feel responsible enough to handle that right
1: yeah there are some mm-hmm.
0: of some people uh, have that issue and some people have the fear of failure where they right. just don't try and th- and they can mask uh, there's different ways to mask you know either one of those but i Transitioning into the addiction phase when when that fear starts to grip, mm-hmm. and that that the ability to just sit and to be alone by yourself when you don't have the people around, or even if you have the people around and, and you and still to feel numb you alone. and
1: to numb you out and not yeah. have to worry about it, and say, well, you know, there's a certain delusion that alcohol, for example, or drug. To put in us that says oh uh, here's the way you know I don't have to think about whatever it is that's not working I don't have right. to put in, put in the effort it feels good because trying to struggle and trying to make things work sometimes is real painful
0: yeah and well I'm going to so, give you a phrase I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a phrase and I want you to finish the phrase addiction begins with the
1: comfort level that alcohol or drugs give us, the pleasure, Mm -hmm. the feel-good pleasure. And we keep wanting more and more of it. That's what the addiction is. And we really uh, thrive on it. And, you know, it then becomes a substitute for all the fears that we're we're covering up. And that's that's where – and the thing is – what they're finding more and more, th- the well, the Japanese say it. Uh, Beth, a man takes a drink, a drink takes the drink, the drink takes the man. Yep. And it's the uh, it's it's biochemical that eventually yeah. it clicks in and say, oh, here's the answer to all my bad feelings. We don't, right. You know, the dopamine comes in and we just feel. Great, and we yeah, just keep on doing it because the alternative is just too bad. Until mm-hmm. you come to a point where you can't do it anymore, and I don't make any any uh, uh, bones about the fact that I went down, even though I was in, a, you know, in the addiction field, I went was going down that road
0: mm-hmm. without
1: realizing it until I had a, a, a bad experience of a blackout, and that's it. Whoops! You can't do this anymore. <laughs> no, no blackout
0: drunks. That that's a rough night for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was a black. And I didn't know it was a blackout until some. You know, I had some information a couple of days later, Jeez. and I knew enough. Being in the addiction field, that no, I don't think so, Lundgren. You cross over a line, and that's it. A lot of people may have lots of blackout, but they can minimize yeah. it. Fortunately. Fortunately, I was early enough to say, ah, no, 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 no. This is... The, the pleasure from uh, Wild Turkey was not doing enough <laughs> for me to right. have to deal with that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And what was, is
1: That what was is my leftover good- from my advertising days with drinking very <laughs> good stuff.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind a glass of yellow turkey every now and then. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, what are... Uh, let's let's talk to the person out there who is listening to the show, and they may be struggling with, am I an addict or not? How do they, first off, have the courage to ask that question, and what do they need to be really asking themselves? What does that question look like practically?
1: Well, I'm not sure that uh, it depends on where we are in the addiction that we even ask ourselves. The question, The question. a lot of times, comes from others around us who have to point out to us uh, what is going on. There's a denial that comes with becoming addicted. And mm. the denial says, oh, it's not a problem. That's, that's what I was. If it wasn't a problem, you know, feel good, you know, have, you know, the fact that if... What, what the uh, NIH is saying, that for men, two drinks is social drinking. For women, it's one drink. Right. And if you're crossing over that line, that's where you ought to be asking the question. Mm. But you see, in crossing the line, you have to be uh, aware of yourself enough And not so far in the addictive process to ask that question. Wait a minute, you know, I drink uh, X, Y, Z, and is is, is this, does this make sense? Everybody else does. That's that's the the common thing. We say, oh, I drink just like everybody else. Well, I ask people to take uh, some time of not drinking at all and see how it is Mm. for them. In other words say, okay, I have questions about my drinking. Maybe what I need to do is to not drink for a period of time, a month. And a lot of people now are not to do a January uh, sobriety. In other words, they drink through the holidays and they have some regrets and so forth. But during January, they won't drink at all. And that does separate the men from the boys. And I say, look, if it's a real problem for you to remain sober for a month, then that says something about your involvement with alcohol, or whatever whatever the drug is. If you're having reactions, bodily reactions, you feel awful because you're not using, then that's that means you crossed over the line, and most likely you're going to have to work with uh, go. you what you ought to be doing is going to see a counselor to say okay do i fit in the category of uh, an alcoholic or you know can i do something about it with your help or what do i have to do right and that's the question the other way that the question gets answered is what we call an intervention and that's where Mm. other family members and this is real important uh when an intervention is done the important people in the uh, the, the uh, addicted person's life uh, sit down with the, with the person and uh, a couple things one talk about in a very uh, you know low-keyed way say last Tuesday you were drinking and this happened last right Friday, you know, in other words, being specific about times, what happened, mm-hmm. yeah. and, you know, and you're going to deny because you won't remember any of it. And But the thing is, they say in a matter-of-fact way, this is, to me, the, the family member, the uh, people in the intervention, this gives me an indication there's a problem here, and I can't be with you when you're drinking. Right. And that's the... Uh, I would like you know I think you ought to go into treatment uh if you don't, then I just can't be around- I will not be around you. I love you, I care about you, but I will not be around you when you've been drinking period end of statement sober I can be with you but and that oftentimes when you get enough people who have that kind of impact, then somebody will choose to do something about it, especially when the family member says, look, uh, here's the number of a counselor we would like you to call them. Or if someone is so serious that they need inpatient treatment, they will say, you know, we talked with uh, this program, Uh, your suitcase is packed, you go. Mm. And, you know, it's very powerful. But, but what, what I'm saying, in essence, if you can ask yourself the question, that means there's a chance that you can do something, you know, on your own. But you've got to be real clear that that's what, you know, with me, the blackout made it real clear. Right. There was no and of that. I said, no, this, I can't do this. Right. Uh, For other people, we can, you know, say, oh, well, it wasn't that, or, oh, you know, it doesn't happen that often because Mm -hmm. we have that memory. But what happens then uh, with the other family members or when we make a decision, look, let's see how it is that I don't drink for a month. But the next question is, can I, if I begin drinking after that period, can I maintain the one or two drink, you know, uh, standard if I can? Yeah. And, you know, I, I can do it for a week or so, and all of a sudden it starts in the five, six, and seven drink. Yeah. Then, again, we have to look at ourselves and say, wait a minute, this is not what we want.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's when we begin. And that's when, or I say, I'm talking about drink. for I, uh, talk about it any, any kind right, drug, whatever whatever drug it is pot right and and you know when i'm and when i'm so uncomfortable that i can't be without it then it's it's got me rather than i have it
0: and, well it's interesting that you you bring up just the idea of it being an alcoholic ab- abuse or, or addiction because the the addiction starts in the mind and whatever is troubling in the mind the the vice that we use to alleviate that pressure in our brain, to make something feel good, is what we get addicted to. So you have like pornography, drugs, alcohol, work, um, binge watching work, binge watching TV shows, yeah, um, like self harm, physical harm to yourself. Like there are so many, it, like an addictive trait or the fear that you're trying to get over that.
1: But you see, some of those traits, some of those, like workaholism, are endorsed. Right. And, you know, so we become very confused as to what is mm-hmm. compulsive behavior. Right. And Absolutely. Um, And as you say, we have a belief, the the magical thinking that says we can control it. And that's what keeps us from, from seeking help. It's the belief, oh, I just need... To do this, or I uh, uh, sometimes people move to another city, or you know, if I right. de- if I had a different job, I wouldn't, you know. And then we go through the same, and all of a sudden we discover nothing changed because right. we haven't changed. Yeah, and well, the, it's harder to look into the
0: mirror than it is to look at somebody else's life. Oh and yeah, say,
1: absolutely. Yeah, you need help. You and and the the other thing too. One of the amazing thing the things that amaze so many of my clients. Uh, when I've worked with them and they start going to a party and I tell them, sure, go to the party. Uh, if you if you start getting uncomfortable, give yourself permission to leave. And they come back and say, you know, I looked at all the other people there and I said, I can't believe that I behaved that way. Yeah. In other words, they begin to see how... Uh, where all their behavior was because they're not drinking and they're watching other people do the same thing. As, as you just said, it's easier mm-hmm. to see it in other people. right? And so when they make the connection and say, Oh, I used to be like that. Oh, how disgusting. Mm-hmm. Then that's when I know, Oh yeah, they're doing okay. They're, you yeah. know, and they well, also find good. out that they can't have a good time without a chemical substance. Absolutely. And I can encourage them if they are willing to go to a 12-step program. A lot of the 12-step groups will have New Year's Eve parties. And I said, "Uh, that's often the rowdiest thing in town. Mm -hmm. And there's no alcohol and no drugs involved. But they're having a good time because they've learned to have a good time without, without a substance. And that's where... You know that's one, and we get them. We get the advertising and everything else that that says to have a good time, do this, or yep. we have other people saying, "Oh, you know, this will feel so much better." That's right. And that's the, the that's the damage of, of addiction. But again, it's addiction. We can be addicted to running. We can be addicted. Yeah. You know, we lose control. We get really antsy if we don't. Uh, perform, and then we have to decide whether that addiction is detrimental to us, right, or helpful.
0: Well, a lot of times we were not very good at determining that on our own. Somebody's got to come into our right. life and give us both grace and truth, right, to be able to say, "Hey, look, Jonathan or Bill, you're having a rough time, and I noticed that you've been doing X, Y, and Z. What's going on?" Right. And simply laying out the fact what you're doing, that they've noticed what you're doing, that it may not be right, that it may be hurting you, your family, your job, your social um, interactions. Or it's
1: hurting the relationship that you yep. have For with sure. them, like the workaholic yep. who put his or her work before a right. spouse yep. or the children or whatever. Something's yep. out of hand. Control, and we can very logically come up up with all the reasons why we have to do that yeah but we're and the reasons may be totally valid and totally yeah well absolutely absolutely but the thing is what kind of lifestyle do you want to have do you want to have a lifestyle where you're doing nothing but working or do you want to have a lifestyle that you know you're paying the bills but you're having the enjoyment of being with other people, with your children, going out uh, for a walk and, you know, hiking on a a trail here around Colorado, whatever you, we have the capacity to make those decisions, but we have to deal with the discomfort when we change our behavior. I hope this has been helpful. I certainly uh, appreciate you all listening to this program. If you have any thoughts, Uh, Contact us and and tell give us your feedback. We certainly enjoy the the year that I've been doing this. I've certainly been helped by comments from my listeners. I appreciate it. I'm signing off. Have a good week. Take care.